Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here in this place today, may your awesome and holy name be regarded as awesome and holy. And as we open up your word, I pray that we would tremble before it, bow ourselves underneath it, allow it to address us and require things of us that you require of us and believe things that you want us to believe. And I pray that your word would thunder this morning, not my words, but your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would rest upon us as we Listen, rest upon me as I speak, and that Jesus Christ would be magnified here today. In his name I pray. Amen. The average person hears or reads, listens, processes 20 to 30,000 words a day, which over the course of a year means the average person reads and hears and processes somewhere between 7.3 and 10.9 million words. Which means for the average life, the average person, let's say 75 years they live or so, give or take, the average person will hear and read and process upwards of a quarter of a billion words. I think it's safe to say that words shape our lives in a massive, massive way. The things we hear, the things that we read, the words that we're exposed exposed to, the messages that we're exposed to. Words shape our thinking and our affections, our emotions, our worldview in huge ways. And the words that ring in our ears the clearest and that are lodged in our conscience the tightest and go the deepest are the words that will impact our lives the most. I think that goes without saying. Knowing this, here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Knowing the massive impact of words and messages that we get from words, Paul would say, if he were standing here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But even more importantly, the Holy Spirit, who does stand here, and the Lord Jesus, who is here among us today, says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't think there's anything you need more this year 2019, than to let the word of Christ go deep and dwell deep within you, living deep within you, not just lying dormant, not just somewhere tucked away, but dwelling 
deep within you. Trust me, the word of Christ will change you. It will transform your life. It will change your thinking. And how many know we need our thinking changed? It will change your affections. And how many know we need our affections, or that's just an old way of saying feelings or emotions. It will affect our emotions and our feelings and our affections. It will affect our wills, what we do and why we do it. It will affect our worldview, how we view all of life. The word of Christ will. So let it dwell within you deeply. That's, that's what we need. That's what we need. At the turn of the calendar every year, January 1 comes around. And I, I, every year almost, I mean not every year since I was one, but every year for the last 10 years or so. I sit down and I think about, I want, it, I want this year to be a year of intentional growth. In lots of ways. I mean, in, in different ways. But, but preeminent is I want this year to be a year of intentional spiritual growth. And so I, I sit down and I think about and I ask the Lord to increase my passion for his word and my desire to seek him in prayer and, and to live a, a spirit-led and spirit-filled life. And th- these verses are so pregnant for us today and for this year. If the word of Christ, if you got to the end of 2019 and this happened in you, you would be amazed and stunned at the progressive and increasing growth and change in your life. You would be amazed. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 is pregnant with nuclear-powered impact for our lives. This text tells us two things I want to cover this morning. Number one, it tells us how we should treat the scriptures. How should we treat the Bible? And number two, it tells us how the word of Christ goes to work in our lives when we treat it a certain way. How many know the word of God works? I don't just mean it's practical. I mean it goes to work in us. So, how, do we treat, how should we treat the scriptures and how does the word of Christ go to work in the life of a believer? Let's, just, let's take these one at a time. First, how should we treat the scriptures? How should we treat the scriptures? How should we treat this book that most people here, I think, would, would, would believe and agree that this is God's word? How should we treat it? Well, let me say it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How should we treat this word? First of all, we should treat it as the word of Christ. We should treat the scriptures as the word of Christ. Now, when Paul says the word of Christ, I don't think he has in mind something other than the scriptures, like maybe a a truncated view of the gospel, like a simple gospel explanation and how to get saved. I think for Paul, all of the scriptures, all of it is the word of Christ because all of it points to Christ. All, he is the sum and the substance of the entire Bible. 
One place in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, all of the promises of God. And I think, I think as Christians, that means from Genesis to Revelation, certainly interpreted correctly, but all of the promises of God, Paul says, find their yes in Christ. To which we utter the amen. Promises find their yes in Jesus, and we say amen, yes. Thank you, Lord. Right? Remember Paul's travels in the book of Acts on his missionary journeys. He would go from city to city, and it was his custom. In every city that he went to, he would find the synagogue. He would find a place. Remember, the Jews were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. So everywhere he went, he would find the place of worship where the Jews were gathered and the God-fearers. And he would enter into the synagogue, and he would reason with them. And seek to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, he did this immediately after he was converted. And how did Paul do that? What did he have to persuade them with? How did he seek to reason with them? He had the scriptures. But, for, but at that time, it was only the Old Testament. And so I envision Paul going to... Genesis and Leviticus and Isaiah and the Psalms and Micah and Malachi and 2 Kings and, and, and reading a portion of scripture and seek to persuade them. This is pointing to Jesus of Nazareth, who is our Messiah. For Paul, all of the scriptures is the word of Christ in the sense that they all tell the message of Jesus and point to Christ and lead us to the wisdom that is found in and through Jesus Christ. I think there's probably another reason why in Colossians, Paul uses this phrase, the word of Christ, and it's because Paul was combating a certain kind of heresy, and Colossians, if you read from, from beginning to end, from chapter 1 to the, to the end of chapter 4, um, he is seeking to elevate before his hearers' eyes, or before them, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is supreme. Not, well, not other things, okay? I won't get into it. Not other things, all right? And so at the beginning, in, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things were created through him and for him. And he holds all things together. And Paul says, this God who created all things, this Messiah, this Jesus who created all things, the scriptures point to him. They are the word of Christ. So the scriptures are to be treated as the word of Christ. But, but then Paul says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Not just get close to you. Not just have this book lying close to you as though, you know, kind of rub up next to it and get something from it. But let it dwell in you. In other words, treat the word of Christ or the scriptures as a familiar friend. George Whitfield was once asked, what do you think of so-and-so's character? And to which he wisely responded, I, I don't know. I've never lived with them. <clears throat> and that's how we get to know someone really well, right? Is when we live with them. 
And we might love them just as much, but sometimes, you know, we don't like them. No, I'm joking. All right. Um, That's how we get to know someone, and that's how you get to know the Scriptures. Unless the Word of Christ is actually dwelling in you, you might know some things about it, but you don't really know it. You're not very acquainted with it. It's not having the impact in your life that it should, that it can. So don't be content with a vague commitment to the Bible while you yourself in actual practice are completely unfamiliar with it. How many Christians have a vague commitment? I'm committed to the word of God. But if they were honest, they'd say, I I cannot remember the last time I opened it. How committed is that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let it get in. Let it dwell in. There, don't be, don't be content with letting the scriptures drive through your neighborhood, as it were. Drive along the street. Don't even be content with opening the door to the scriptures, to the word of Christ, and, and doing pleasantries at the door, but then shutting the door on it and going about your business. Let it come in. Let it dwell there. Let it come into your family room. Let it sit around the table with you. Let it dwell in your bedroom and in your closet. Let it fill every room in your house. Of course, I'm speaking figuratively here. Let it come and dwell in you. Charles Spurgeon once said, The professing Christian who is indifferent to the scriptures will have the dust on his Bible to rise up against him in the day of judgment. And I believe that. I believe that. God has given us a book. God has given us revelation about him. And to be indifferent is a gross sin. Let it dwell in you. Let it come in and dwell as a constant friend so that you get to know it and it begins to search you. And makes its way into every part of your life. Is there anything more important? You think of all the information you gather on a daily basis. And of course, you sit at a desk or at a computer and and work and interact with clients and so forth. There's going to be a lot of that, no doubt. Does the word of Christ, does it shape and form your thoughts and your affections and your worldview? Or not. Let it come in. Treat the word of Christ, the scriptures, as a familiar friend. But not just as any friend. Right? If you're like me, you have lots of acquaintances, loose friends. You have some close friends. And then you have a really, really, really close friend. Let the word of Christ Paul says, dwell in you richly. So treat the scriptures as the word of Christ. Treat it as a familiar friend. But treat it also as a treasure. Or as a treasured friend. Here's what the psalmist says. Your words are more to be desired than gold. 
even much fine gold and sweeter than honey. Your words are more to be desired than all the gold in the world. When I read that, I'm like, do I believe that? Lord, help me believe that. And it's sweeter than the honeycomb. It's sweeter than the sweetest dessert you can get your hands on. This word richly, it's modifying the verb dwell. He's saying, how should the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Could be translated abundantly. I think the word richly... um, is, is probably best, at least as I kind of think through it and, and see what Paul says elsewhere. Because I think what Paul has in mind, at least first and foremost, is quality of the dwelling of Christ's word rather than quantity. What I mean is, certainly over time, the believer, the Christian, should have more and more of the word of Christ dwelling in them. Right? I think we would all agree with that. You're, if you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, hopefully more of his word is dwelling in you than, than week one. But the, the woman who has just put her faith in Christ and has never opened a Bible right this day can begin to let the word of Christ dwell in her richly. Right now. Right now. John three sixteen and 17. If that got in somebody and really got in them and began to dwell in them richly, it would change their lives. It has changed our lives, hasn't it? These two verses, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, I hope these words ring in your ears all year. Well, even better, for the rest of your lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You don't have to wait until you've read the Bible from cover to cover or until you have memorized 100 verses. I commend both of those things. They're very good practices. Bible memory is fantastic. Reading Genesis to Revelation is a commendable thing to do. I think you should do that sometime. But you don't have to wait for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly until you've done that. It can today. This ought to be greatly encouraging. Especially if if your conscience is pricked like mine is, that, that I don't give the word of God the attention it ought to have. Then be encouraged today. Let Begin to let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly. So, how should we treat the scriptures as the word of Christ and letting it dwell in us as a familiar friend and letting it dwell in us as a treasure, letting it dwell richly? So, when we treat the scriptures this way, what kind of work does it do in our lives? What work does it begin to do in our lives? Now, when I say it, of course, I don't mean apart from God, like he just sends his word and he's... No, but what kind of work does Christ do? Does the Holy Spirit do when the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly? I took my kids to, the, to see the new Mary Poppins movie on New Year's Day, so just five days ago. And I don't know if, who, how many people here have seen that. I don't remember the first Mary Poppins movie. I saw it, but 20 years ago or more. Um, but Mary Poppins is a nanny who comes to the Banks family. And this family is on the verge of collapse. Right? The family is in disarray. 
They're despairing because of the death of mother and they're threatened with the prospects of losing everything, their home that they've lived in and everything. Mary Poppins, this woman who has magic, works magic, she enters into their home and with her words and actions, she begins to change the entire atmosphere of the home. That's what the word of Christ does. Our lives are in disarray without it. Even if we're good at micromanaging our own lives, they're in disarray. We, are, we, we go from despairing to happy to despairing to happy depending on life's circumstances. The word of Christ comes in and begins to put things right. The word of Christ comes in and begins to change us at the deepest part of our being. And that is a glorious thing. So how? Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.11. He's he's talking to the believers. and He's talking about when they received the gospel. He says, when I came, you received my words as what they truly are, the word of God. He says this, which is at work in you believers? The word of God is at work in believers. And this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, God Almighty. You know the beginning of your Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said... Right? Day one, let there be light. And God said, and God said, days one through six, God spoke into nothing. And everything that was created came into being. Does that sound like power? It doesn't sound like power to you guys. I mean, all right, help me out here then. You guys look me up afterwards and tell me what, what really rocks your boat with power. All right, that's powerful. And if his word is dwelling in us, it's powerful. It does powerful things. We shouldn't see the, you know, we shouldn't see the word of God as like dwelling in us as like it's, it's put away in a nice, safe bank vault. There's something precious in there, but it's, it's put away, it's closed, it's lying dormant. But rather, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it's like an assembly line that begins to build things and construct things in us and change us. So, how does it do this? How does the word of Christ, when it dwells in us richly, how does it begin to change us? How does it work on us deep within? Well, we could go on and on. And we could go on and on for days talking about the power of the word and how it transforms our lives. But there are five things in this text I want to draw out. And I hope these serve as enticements for you today. I really do. I hope that these, I hope these are like, whet your appetite to make 2019 a year where you are committed to, make, to letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So let's just go through these one at a time. How does the word of Christ work in believers? Number one, the word of Christ, when it, when it dwells in us richly, produces wisdom to teach and admonish one another. You guys see that in the text? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. 
There's a gift of teaching. Pastors and elders must be men, according to the scriptures, able to teach. But there is a teaching to which all of us are enabled and responsible to participate in. Every single believer in Christ is called to teach and to admonish in certain contexts. And that's what Paul is saying here. Let the word of Christ so dwell in you richly that you can teach and admonish not your own opinions, but the word of Christ to one another. To one another. That means, that means Christians in the, in the church teaching and admonishing one another, loving each other and, and serving each other well by speaking the words of Christ to each other. To teach and admonish in all wisdom. With wisdom. Teaching. I think Paul has in mind two different ideas. I don't think he's just being repetitive. He says teaching and admonishing. Teaching is instruction. It's the Greek word didasko. It's where we get the idea of, in classical learning, of didactic learning where we take all this information we've learned as little children and we begin to put things together, logic, reason, and so forth. And Paul says, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we want, we're able to do that. We're able to instruct others and help them to learn and help them to grow. Instruction or teaching is for those who are ignorant. And I don't mean that to be mean. I'm just saying people who lack knowledge, people who lack instruction. But Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another, but then also admonishing. The word admonish is a stronger word. It, it means to exhort or even to rebuke or to warn. You can see the difference between these two things. While teaching helps someone who may lack understanding, admonishment or admonishing warns someone who's in danger. Or rebuke someone who is rebelling against God or, or exhort someone who just, just needs to hear a strong word from the Lord. So teaching and admonishing. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, he says, I didn't hold anything back from you, but I admonished you night and day with tears. And when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we will wisely be able to teach and admonish one another. And the reason I say wisely is because there's a t- we need to know there's a time for teaching and there's a time for admonishing. And we need wisdom sometimes to know, does this person need instruction or do they just, do they just need to be admonished? Think about how intensely practical this is in the church. Okay? I I hope, I mean, I I see the preaching of God's word when we gather together as massively important. I really do. But each one here is to be instructed. I think of Isaiah chapter 50. It's speaking of Christ, but I think in a subordinate way it applies to us as well. I have the tongue of someone who has been taught. Each one here having the tongue of someone who's been taught so that when you're interacting before church and after church and during fellowship time and when you're sitting across the table for coffee or when you're at a prayer meeting or 
any context you find yourself in, you have the tongue of someone who's been taught and are able to teach and admonish with wisdom. How does this happen? When the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Think of how, pract- think of how intensely practical this is for parents. If you're a parent, wake up, please. Or a grandparent, even. I don't mean wake up because you're sleeping, but just listen up. What an amazing responsibility we have to take these little lives and shape and fashion them. God has given them to us and with his help to shape and fashion their hearts and their minds to know and love God. You want to teach and admonish wisely, don't you? And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number two, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, you know what else it produces? Singing. It will make you want to sing, even if you can't sing very well. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When the word of Christ dwells in you richly and you, the the gospel and what God has done through Christ dwells in you richly, it will produce singing. You will read the Psalms and you will feel like singing them. Psalm 36 or 35, 36 I think. How blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. How blessed is the man whose sins will never be counted against him. When that's dwelling richly in you, you'll want to sing. You will. You'll want to sing. I was thinking of, you know, when we talk about the word of, the scriptures being the word of Christ that all point to Jesus, we see glimpses of this in the New Testament. and, And, you know, one of the Old Testament stories that very clearly points to Christ is the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. Right? God brought them out with a strong arm and, and he and the Passover lamb and all of that in the, the Red Sea, and he part of the Red Sea. And, and I love that story because when the Israelites get on the other side of the Red Sea and God closes the sea up on the horsemen and the chariots of the Egyptians, you know what happens? You know what, you know what Moses does? He leads the Israelites in a song. And then you know what happens after that? Miriam grabs the tambourine. You need tambourines, don't you? I mean, who doesn't, ha- who doesn't know, like the church you grew up in, if it's like mine, there was always a lady in the back with a tambourine, right? <laughs> Miriam grabbed a tambourine and got all the other women of Israel with tambourines, and she began singing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. When we come into contact with the scriptures and they dwell in us richly and the gospel comes alive in us and we see that God parted the sea of our fears and we went through and he washed our sins away and they are thrown into the depths of the sea, never to be brought up in judgment again. 
you will want to sing. You want to sing about it. It'll make you rejoice. And I hope, I, 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 I love the songs that we sing here because so often ones that Luke or Alyssa or Amanda, the others that, that come together with, for these songs and they point us to these great and glorious realities. Number three, when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it also produces a Godward gratitude. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Then this, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The scriptures, the word of Christ, it is first and foremost a book about God and the Holy Spirit and Christ and God's attributes and his actions and his desires. It's not primarily a book about you and a roadmap for your life and practical tips on how to have your best life or anything like that. It is about God. And when the word of Christ dwells in us richly, you know what, you know what happens? When it dwells in us richly. I don't mean just when we read it, but when it dwells in us richly, it, it just... It has a way, it's the Spirit of God using the word to lift our eyes to God. Off the horizontal plane, it, 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 it stops us from doing navel gazing where we're looking inside ourselves. It, it turns us upward from the horizontal and just looking at problems and circumstances and other people. And it turns us Godward in gratitude. So when the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The psalm, the psalm said over and over again, even just that phrase. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. How do you know he's good? How do you know? What does his goodness even mean? Are we just supposed to fill that in? with our own inherent wisdom? No. He tells us in his word. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his goodness is on display page after page after page after page of this book and is to dwell in you richly so that your eyes are lifted to God in gratitude and thanksgiving. Several weeks back on thank, uh, after Thanksgiving, I, I, I taught on... Um, Thanksgiving. And I said that when, our, when Thanksgiving is drying up in our lives, it's because the wells of joy are running dry. And I would even go back a step further and I would say the wells of joy are running dry and our, and our Thanksgiving is running dry. I would say one reason, maybe the main reason, is because the word of Christ is not dwelling in us richly. The word of problems and the word of politics. You fill in the blank and the word of distracting things is dwelling in us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It will produce Godward gratitude. Number four, 
This might surprise you, but the word of Christ dwelling in us richly leads to a spirit-filled life. When the word of Christ dwells in you richly, Christ himself dwells in you richly by his Holy Spirit. Amen? Um, there's not this word-spirit dichotomy like, you know, well, I want to... I, I want to commit myself to the word this year, but I, but I also really want to be filled with the Spirit. I mean, I understand why we talk that way, but it's not either or, at least not in Paul's mind, and it shouldn't be in ours either. I think for Paul to have the word of Christ dwell in you richly is to be filled with the Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit. I don't mean just to have... Bi- the Pharisees knew large portions of the Old Testament and they weren't filled with the Spirit. So I'm not just saying lots of memorization, okay? Please understand. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's where I see this in Paul's mind. I, there's a strong connection between these verses in Colossians 3 and a couple of verses in Ephesians 5. Let me read these verses in Ephesians 5 and just listen carefully and don't turn, don't turn there, but just listen and, and hear if there's any similarities between Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. I think you'll pick up on it. Ephesians five eighteen. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything. Here, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teach and admonish one another. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. When the word of Christ is really dwelling in us richly, in you richly, in me richly, you know what, you know what that is, right? It's the Holy Spirit making it come alive in us. Making it real to us. I mean, Jesus said this, that, that the spirit of truth will come and he will bear witness about me. He will disclose to you the things concerning me. He loves to open up our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to see Jesus with faith. And I think that's what it is to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So it will lead to a spirit-filled life. And finally, number five, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, It equips you to live for his glory in whatever you do. And of course, it will keep you from doing certain things, too. I think it was D.O. Moody said, um, I think it was him, that said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. That's good, isn't that? So, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, it it will equip you empower you to live 
for the glory of Jesus. And here's verse 17. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through God the Father through him. So it equips us. It, 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 the, the, the word and at the beginning of 17, I, I think, means that Paul is continuing his thought. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the, God the Father through him. Paul is continuing his thought. And he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, with your lips and with your hands, whatever you do, with your mouth and with your muscles, well, I guess you got muscles in your mouth too, but you know what I'm saying. Whatever you do, speaking and doing, whatever you do, do everything. Everything. Is there anything that doesn't fit into that bucket, everything? when the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is taking us beyond just what we normally might think. Well, I want to love my wife to the glory of Jesus, and I want to read my Bible, and I want to pray, and I want to go to church and worship and sing, and I want to do these things. But I think Paul would say, yeah, amen, absolutely, and, and everything else you do. You know, for many of you, that thing you do from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, or maybe different hours. And, and you know, I mean, like changing diapers and making dinner for your family and making dinner for another family and do all of these things. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it enables us, it equips us, it motivates us, It puts in us the desire, I guess that's motivation, to do all that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, with his help, by his power, for his glory, whatever we do. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for um, teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, And then it says this, that the man of God, I don't think it's just talking about men, but that the man of God, men, women of God, may be competent and equipped for every good work. The word of all scripture breathed out by God, it's it's God-inspired, it's God-breathed. It's not things that he once spoke a long time ago, but it's things he speaks now. And when it gets in us, it equips us for every good work that God calls us to. So, I realize this is something that's been burning in my heart for a while now, so um, this is begging the question, but, or I might be leading you into the answer that I want you to give. (laughs) Is there anything more important this year for you than to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? 
Now, some might ask, and I, th- I'm going to take about two minutes to do this, and I could take a lot longer. But some might ask, how, how, how do I do this? Where do I even start? Um, it's a big book, right? It's, uh, there's some things that are hard to understand. Time is a hot commodity, and I don't seem to have very much of it. And how do I do this? Well, let me just give you a few tips. These are not inspired tips, okay? These are just my tips. These are just things I've learned over the years that I found helpful. How do I begin? I'm just gonna, I'm going to point out five things. Okay, thirty seconds on each. All right, so I'm not going to take five minutes on each. How do I begin? You plan. You ask. You read. You pray, and you memorize. Number one, plan. So much Bible reading, or so much. Uh, Bible immersion or getting the scriptures in you doesn't happen because it's not planned for. You do plan for whatever you think is important. Don't fool yourself. Right? We plan for what we think is important. We will make time for it. So plan. First thing in the morning, even just a short time, a really, you know, 15 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes over lunch, 10 minutes at night, whatever seems to work best for you, but you sit down and you plan and say, God, I want to commit to this. Number two, ask. When you're getting ready to open up the Bible, I would, I would encourage you to ask God for help. And I, there's two prayers I pray almost every day. And... And they're, they're right out of the psalm. So I guess this is an inspired part of, of these tips. Okay? The, the first prayer is, incline my heart to your word and not toward unjust gain. Lord, I mean, when I wake up in the morning, you know, oftentimes my, I don't have this massive inclination toward God's word. And so I just say, Lord, incline my heart to your word. And then the second prayer is, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things out of your law. Open my spiritual eyes that I would see amazing things here. So plan, ask, read. Eventually it comes down to you reading. You know, there's all kinds of resources out there. Uh, we, we have millions and millions of megabits of data or whatever at our, at our disposal on the internet, some is fantastic, some is terrible, and there's a lot of stuff in the middle. And at the end of the day, though, you are to know the scriptures, the word of Christ, as your friend, as your familiar friend, and not just through somebody else, your favorite podcast or author. I read lots of books. I enjoy reading books. I get, find a lot of help from them. But that sh- we shouldn't always be secondhand people. God wants us to know his word ourselves. Number four, pray. And this might sound like, well, I thought we already prayed. Yep. But then you pray as you're reading. As you're reading. Fellowship with God. Tim Keller says prayer is this interaction with God where he speaks to us through his word and we speak back to him. Where we thank him for promises that we see and we ask him for help 
concerning commands that he gives us and things that he tells us to believe. And it's this interaction with God. And so pray. And finally, memorize. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God, or that I might not sin against you. Address to God. How do we live holy lives? At least part of it is storing up God's word in our heart, which I think includes memorization. Here's a way to start. The text we memorize as a church. And then maybe one other verse a month. Just, if you've never done it, start small, it's fine. Memorize. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. Let's close with this. He says, Oh, to have the word of Christ always dwelling inside us, in the memory, never forgotten, in the heart, always loved, in the understanding, really grasped, with all the powers and passion of the mind fully submitted to its control. Let's pray.